It is absolutely a pleasure and a privilege to be with the folks at The Rock and your pastor, uh, Carlos, and all the leaders here. Uh, it's a real honor, and I want to thank you for opening your arms wide open to me today. I have been greeted, and my hand has been shaken many times, and many people have uh, expressed to me uh, how glad they are that I'm here today. And I just want to let you know uh, that's a sign of a very healthy church. And uh, what's great is that I know that visitors and guests are coming in and they're receiving the same treatment. And that's why you have grown to the ranks that you are today. And so, uh, Pastor Carlos, thank you for the privilege of being here. Uh, I, I did have kind of a crazy week and just got into the airport this morning, a little bit after midnight, and uh, drove up from Columbus last night because I wanted to be here so bad. And I was so glad that, uh, that Pastor Carlos reached out to me. And now that I'm actually here, and it is my first time to be here, uh, I came from Columbus this morning, um, it, it, it confirms what I've heard and what I've seen and what I've suspected. And uh, you all get to enjoy this dynamic called the body of Christ here at The Rock on a weekly basis. And that's why so many of you have, have just been thanking God that you found a church like this. In fact, most of the people I've talked to this morning have come from the west side of Toledo. <laughs> so are there any east siders here? Anybody? Okay, yeah, I assume so. I thought there might be. Okay. But, uh, you know, just for what it's worth. Let me tell you, for somebody who's walking in for the first time, I've just been so surprised when I walk in today with so many ways the Lord is moving. And and when you're here week after week after week, sometimes, like anything, you can start to take it for granted or you start to lose sight of the things that, that you've come accustomed to. But let me tell you, the, the worship this morning is something very, very special uh, that you all are privileged to enjoy and to be part of. And what I loved about this was there were some very talented musicians on this stage, no question, people who take this very seriously. Uh, but there were times when your voices were out doing their voices because everyone was so into uh, and making personal uh, their worship experience, which is exactly what what you want to see in a healthy church. And what a, what a surprise that was. What a blessing that was. I was not expecting Pastor Carlos to have a, a Bill Gaither symposium this morning at The Rock. Um, what a blessing. What a blessing. How many of you have never heard the name Bill Gaither before today? I, I suspected there were some. <laughs> but uh, like some of you, uh, when you sing those words... Uh, we'll fight life's final war with pain. Uh, that's, that's where our family is with my dad. That's where some of you are right now with some of your loved ones. They're walking and fighting bravely that final war with pain. And to be reminded this morning that victory, sweet victory, is on its way. How powerful is that? How powerful? I've just been surprised at how ministered I have been uh, to this morning. Uh, I, I'm so thankful for that. I did not expect a lady... Uh, on oxygen to be out dancing everybody else in the room today <laughs> what is up with that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and on and on and on and i need to get into the message but let me just say uh let, let me tell you what you already know but sometimes it's good to hear it from someone else uh, God's doing something very powerful. It's evident here. And Pastor Carlos, uh, your influence uh, is growing and it's going to continue to grow. And uh, I hope that you are all ready, that you are all prepared uh, for the sacrifices that will need to be made as you release your pastor and you release your leaders 
to have a greater influence. Uh, because it's pretty cool when you know some people like this and have a really good relationship with them, and you can see how their DNA is multiplying all over all over the sanctuary. Uh, so many kids here this morning. It's amazing, your future. But you you may need to get to the point where you're ready to say, Lord, we may have less time with Pastor Carlos. Uh, we may not have as many moments to be right there with him uh, because he needs to be released. Uh, if this church is going to grow, there's going to be more and more people who are going to need to have his focus and his time and his attention. And uh, I just want to say that as a prophetic word to you. I don't consider myself a prophet. It's just so obvious to me. It's so obvious that the mantle of the Lord's anointing is on this man and upon his influence um, that that often is sometimes a challenge for a church that, <clears throat> that grows to the point where they, we really like it the way it is. It's really cool, and it is cool. Uh, but if, if you're going to reach the people that God has in mind that you're going to reach, uh, it's going to take uh, even more, even more. You've already done it. It's going to take even more rolling up our sleeves and saying, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to, to see your ministry, your p- purposes for this church to be accomplished, we're ready to do it. And whether or not that makes me uncomfortable uh, because I've got to scoot over and let someone else have my favorite seat or whether I've got to start coming to a different service at a different time in order to make room for everybody, uh, you'll have no regrets. I guarantee you that. You'll have no regrets at the end of your life here or even more importantly in eternity that you were willing to be a little uncomfortable to sacrifice a little more so that what God wanted to see done in and through uh, the ministries of this church and through your very gifted pastor, his family, and all these leaders uh, was accomplished. Uh, this, what is going on at the Rock, is something that all of Northwest Ohio uh, needs to experience. Don't you? Don't you believe that? Don't you know? Don't you know there are thousands and thousands of people right now whose marriages, whose homes, whose families, whose challenges uh, need what's going on right here, and so that they can come along with you and say, "I too am free to run. I've been set free in Christ." And uh, I, I'm excited for you. I can, I can hardly wait uh, in the months and years ahead to see how the Lord continues to anoint what's going on here. And Pastor Carlos, I just want to salute you. And uh, it's a good word, but it's also a sobering word because uh, you know what it's taken to get you where you are today. And it's going to be even, even more uh, work and effort and devotion, but it's all going to be worth it uh, to see people come to know Christ. So uh, anything I can do, anything our team uh, can do in Columbus and around the state of Ohio, we certainly want to be here to cheer you on because this is what makes our fellowship uh, stronger and stronger. Well, Pastor uh, Carlos and his team were um, with me a few weeks ago, as he mentioned. And uh, when I walk in today and see that you're in this God and Country series, I kind of get it. Oh, I get it. I know what's going on. Um, and so I, I want to share with you a message that uh, I believe the Lord, all, all, I, all I know to, to tell you is that, that this is one of the easiest messages I've ever preached. Uh, because it's simply, here's what God said. Here's what God said. Here's what God said. Uh, if you have ever, ever uh, been in a church service and you wondered, uh, man, do, do they even open the Bible anymore? Do they even read scripture? This is going to take care of that probably for a few months. You're going to hear a lot of scripture verses today. And I know you hear scripture every week. But this is what God said. It's easy to preach this. It's easy to share this. I'm just telling hey, what he said. That's what I feel like I'm doing, right? It's also the hardest message I've ever preached because it, it steps on a lot of toes. It steps on my toes. And Pastor Carlos, you've heard this. So you already know this crowd. You know your people very well. 
you know this message. What I don't know is, is this going to go over like butter? Or is this, am I going to get tomatoes thrown at me? I don't know. So maybe he's kind of excited to see how it's going to go over. We'll see. Uh, this is a message for the times that we're living in. Uh, terrible things. Uh, things that, that stress our hearts and stress our lives seem to be happening at an increasing rate. And whether they're actually happening more quickly or whether our access and the bombardment that we get through all, everywhere we look is more repetitive, it's probably a little bit of both. But if you just think in the last 12 months, what you here in Northwest Ohio and what citizens and Christians across this country, let alone the world, have had to process, it's, it is pretty sobering. I mean, just in the last 12 months, we've had to, to come to terms with Ebola on the shores of America, jetliners crashing. I said this a few weeks ago, not, not knowing, of course, what was going to happen this week. And if you've been paying attention, uh, everyone believes now that, that several hundred people lost their lives because another bomb found its way on a plane. I've got to be careful because I'm a news junkie. So I'm watching this news in California yesterday uh, before we're getting ready to go on the plane. And my wife is like, uh, hello. And she turned the TV off. Like, she doesn't want to hear that when you get ready to board a plane. I, I get that. But it's just become normal. It's become normal. The uh, police and the issues with the uh, black community constantly, right? We're being on all kinds of opinions on that. Gun rights, uh, ISIS, relations with Cuba and Russia, uh, politicians and things going on in Washington, D.C. Of course, the Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage that just happened. Bill Cosby and Tom Brady and Kim Davis and Bruce Jenner, individual people doing some things that that sometimes make you shake your head and sometimes they make you just shrug your shoulders and scratch scratch your head. There have been shootings and bombings, diseases, the Confederate flag issue, right? And on and on and on. Hillary Clinton's emails and Donald Trump's mouth and so many things that they get everybody talking. I mean, come on, is there anything that can happen in this country that would get everybody on the same page? Is there one thing around which everybody would say, now that is worthy of celebrating. Yes, the Ohio State Buckeyes are still undefeated. (laughs) This is kind of risky up here in northern Ohio, right? In Columbus, this goes over really easy. Oh, November is so interesting. I love November. Oh, my goodness. So you know what I know, and that is that there's no shortage of, of issues. There's no shortage of, of topics and things that are going to get people's blood boiling. And you, you can get people uh, in the same house, in the same city, in the same state, even in the same, in the same church, divided over all these issues. Everyone's got a different opinion. Probably what upsets most of us to the core is, is when it happens in the house of God. You know, shaking our heads about things that Christians should not be doing. Uh, I had a, a minister come to me recently. We were at a restaurant, and uh, I, I met his wife in line. And so she told him about our exchange, and he came over to see me after we sat down. He said, uh, my wife says that you are an Assemblies of God minister. And I said, yeah, that's true. He said, I am a retired United Methodist minister and I know how the Assemblies of God believes, and I'm, I'm coming over. I'm sorry to interrupt your meal, but I need you to pray for us. 
would you tell people in the Assemblies of God to pray for the United Methodist Church? And he went on to explain to me, and some of you already know what I'm talking about, but they are considering next May at their annual, every, every four-year national gathering, they are considering a proposal to do what other people who say we love Jesus have already done. In the Episcopalian Church, they've already done this. In the Presbyterian Church, they've already done this. In the Lutheran Church, they've already done this. And there have been now fractions and divisions. And some people are moving this way and forming their own group, and others are forming this group. And what is that? They're going to consider in Portland, Oregon next May that it would be okay for United Methodist Churches to bless the marriages of same-sex couples inside their church and that it would be okay for ministers who hold credentials with United Methodists to themselves be practicing homosexuals. And he knows that the Assemblies of God thinks that is not supported by Scripture, and he's right. And he told me, he said, there are millions of us in the United Methodist Church, and we don't believe that, but our leaders are taking us a direction we don't want to go, and we feel helpless. Would you please pray? And so I told Jack, that's his name, said, Jack, yes, I'll pray for you, and I have been spreading the word. Please pray. Shake your head, but pray. Pray that the United Methodist Church uh, would have a God moment, and that people would be captivated by, by an understanding of his word and his spirit and do the right thing. That's just one of a bazillion issues that we could talk about and all have opinions today. And so my point uh, of this message is, what does God's word say? Uh, Because uh, the rate at which these types of stories and headlines are going to come is only going to increase. And, And people here in this church are looking to Pastor Carlos and, and the leaders here, and people in your lives are looking to you, how are you going to process? How are you going to lead? What example are you going to set? Because we don't even know this week, you can be guaranteed, this week something else is going to happen that we didn't expect, and it's going to be an opportunity for us as Christians, as leaders, to say, here's what the voice of God is saying, It's going to be an opportunity for us to disagree with one another and and cause the world to say, I don't want any of that. Look at them arguing. They they all say they love Jesus. The world doesn't know the difference between the Assemblies of God and the Methodists and the Episcopalians. What they do know is those are Christians, supposedly. And boy, they seem to be all over the page on this. What, What are we going to do? How does God's word instruct us to make sense of all of this? Well, to understand that, a few examples. Uh, we do in the Assemblies of God. Here at The Rock, we believe that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, all of it was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And we don't believe there's parts that you can pick and choose. Now, we understand the context. We understand the context, and that's very important. But we believe it's all inspired, and that you can't say, well, uh, God didn't really mean for us to have this. This was a mistake. This was an accident. Times have changed. We don't believe that. And so because of that, we use a, a, a paradigm. We use a guide, and that's patterns. So in 2015, we look at Scripture, and especially in the New Testament, we see that there's a pattern of instruction and a pattern of experience about a, a number of things that we do today, like prayer. We see a pattern of instruction, guidance, commandments, Uh, teaching over and over again in the New Testament that God's people should pray, and we also see a pattern of experience. 
stories, examples. Over and over again in the New Testament, God's people prayed. So we see a pattern of instruction and a pattern of experience, and we say that must be normal for us today. And so we, we should pray. Do you believe that here at the Rock? Amen. We should pray? We do. Because Jesus told us to pray, right? Paul told us to pray. We see a pattern of instruction and experience about worship over and over again in the New Testament. We see uh, admonition and encouragement to worship God, to sing new songs, to worship him. And we see experiences that that's what the disciples did in the New Testament over and over again was they worshiped. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. Ministers have their own code. They know what's going on. And so we conclude there's a pattern of instruction and a pattern of experience about worship. And so we conclude we should worship. Amen. Amen. There's a pattern of instruction and a pattern of experience about giving to support your church. So we conclude that's what we need to do. I want to, uh, of course, if you're uh, familiar with the Assemblies of God, uh, some of you here have taken OSOM courses, our School of Ministry courses and ministerial training. One of the trademarks of the Rock and other Assemblies of God churches is that we believe, and, and there are other Christians who don't believe this, but we do. We believe that you look in the New Testament and God wants us to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and that the pattern of instruction, because there's several verses in the New Testament that say this, and the pattern of experience, several stories in the New Testament which support this, that when believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit, the initial, the first evidence that you'll be able to determine is that they speak in other languages. They speak in tongues. And so we conclude that that's normal for us. So using those paradigms, Here's, here's a pattern of instruction and a pattern of experience about how you and I as believers can follow God's word in communicating, in processing, in leading the way so that the people aren't always so anxious and so confused. God has given us, I, I hope at the, in, in the next few minutes, you'll just feel a, a weight released from your shoulders. Because I think as Christians, I, I've been bearing a burden God did not intend for me to carry. Because it's an impossible burden to follow God's word on, on how the New Testament believers process their communication. Because there were lots of issues. They didn't have ISIS, right? They didn't have Caitlyn Jenner, but they had their own issues. If you are a historian, if you even read a little bit about that, Jewish culture and Roman culture... I mean, they did things to kids that almost, I mean, please understand the context here. It almost makes abortion sound humane the way they treated their kids after they were born, okay? So uh, abortion is not humane, I'm not saying that, but relatively speaking. They had their own issues. Uh, they, they, did, they had sexual practices, all right? They, they had slavery. I mean, there were, a, a, there were a variety of things that they could have had signs, believe me, Okay? And if you want more evidence of that, certainly, certainly let me know. But you have to understand that. Things are different, but they're also the same. And they had many things that they could have been talking about and processing. How did they do it? How did these New Testament believers process all the things that were going on and, and stay true to what God had called them to do? That's this pattern of instruction and pattern of experience I want to talk to you about today. And it centers on our audience. There's a pattern of instruction and a pattern of experience about how New, believe, New Testament believers adjusted, controlled what came out of their mouths based on the audience that was in the room. I think, I think what you're going to hear today, a lot of you are going to say, 
oh, I've always felt that. But maybe you've never seen an exhaustive scriptural support for why that would be the right thing to do. And I hope that at the end of, the, of today, you'll feel, yeah, I, now I have scriptural basis for why. I, I know verses here or there and examples here or there, but I feel like that's the, the power of this message is that there is a clear pattern. Maybe that, that I, I know I've not seen it before. Maybe you haven't seen it before that I hope will encourage you and, and give you confidence and, and remove some of the stress that we all feel about, I've got to save the whole world. I've got to solve every issue. I've got to get everybody in this whole uh, Northwest Ohio to see the things the way I see them, right? And none of us would ever say that. But from day to day to day, even in churches and the lives of Christians, there's evidence that that's what we're trying to do because we are distressed. There's so much, so much confusion and so much sin and, and so much pain. We, we all feel it's a good place in our hearts. We feel like, I've got to do something to solve this. Somebody's got to stand up for what's right, right? So it comes from a good place in our hearts. But here's the pattern. When, when you look at the New Testament believers, so Jesus, of course, walked among us, and he was crucified, and he was resurrected, and he ascended to heaven, and after he ascended to heaven... He said, I'm, I'm still going to be with you, but it's going to look a little different. It's going to be the Holy Spirit now. Instead of me in the flesh, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're talking about, because those are what we call the last days. It's the days that we're in now. Everything in the book of Acts forward is, is a pattern for us, because we're living in those same days. Jesus Christ in the flesh is not walking among us like he was for those three and a half years in Galilee, but his spirit is with us, and that's, that's even greater because there's no boundaries. When Jesus was walking the planet, there was a boundary. It was his physical body. That's where the power of God was. But once he ascended to heaven and released the Holy Spirit, now there's no boundaries, and the power of God is everywhere. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he'll quicken your mortal body, whether you live in northwest Ohio or northwest Korea or northwest Africa. The power of God is everywhere now, wherever there's a walking, breathing child of God full of the Spirit. So that's good news. So here's the pattern. When there's an audience that's going to hear your words, whether it's one person or a group of people, in the New Testament, the people who did not know Jesus as Savior, that audience, here's what they saw believers doing time and time again. There are no exceptions to this. That's what's powerful about this. There's no exceptions to this. So at the end of this message, you can say, well, I agree or I don't agree, but what I want you to know is that you've got to reconcile this with the fact that there are no exceptions. So if you want to deviate from this, uh, I'm not saying go ahead and do it. I'm just saying you've got to wrestle and say you're about to do something that there's not a biblical pattern for. That's pretty important. Okay? So the pattern is whenever there's non-believers present, if they're seeing believers like you and me, and they're interacting with other believers in the New Testament, here's the only thing they saw. The non-believers only saw believers interacting with love with other believers, loving other believers. There is no evidence in the New Testament of non-believers being able to look at believers interacting and seeing those believers critiquing one another. There are no stories in the New Testament, there's no instruction and there's no experience where non-believers were able to see believers squabbling and fighting and calling each other out. 
The only experience in the New Testament is that non-believers saw believers loving one another. Now, believers in the New Testament had some disagreements, and they did squabble, and we're going to get into that. But the key is their audience. They never let non-believers see them having their disagreements. All right? Now, when believers were actually engaging with non-believers, so what I just said was how they got along with each other, now when non-believers were having exchanges, and they had many exchanges with believers in the New Testament, and some of them were very happy, and some of them were full of miracles, and it was rah, 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 we love these Christians, right? And some of them were quite confrontational, and they were very mad at the Christians. They wanted to stone them and kill them, and they tried. A lot of different stories and a lot of different experiences with how it happened, but here's the consistent thing. When believers were talking with non-believers, their message consistently focused on preaching Christ crucified. They kept the main thing the main thing. They did not deviate from declaring that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and they kept their message on the power and the strength and the healing that comes through Jesus Christ, who is our Messiah. That's what they did over and over again. What they did not do, now you know how this is going to go over. All right, this is the hardest part. All right, what they did not do was, (laughs) there's no evidence I'm not saying this never happened. I'm not saying there were, some, there were not some sidebar conversations. Okay, But what I'm saying is that there's no biblical stories and there's no biblical instruction about believers getting in the face of non-believers and saying, stop that adultery. Quit that homosexuality. You non-believer, you're drunk as a skunk, and you need to stop it. You people who don't know Jesus, you are slanderers and gossipers, and you are deceivers, and you need to stop that. There's no examples of that. There's no examples of that. I'm going to explain it, because the, the New Testament does talk about gossip, and it's very clear about homosexuality. It's very clear about adultery and drunkenness. and all the, They'll lead us to hell. The Bible is very clear about that. But the part that I've been missing up until now is that audience really matters. Audience really matters. So let's, let's unpack that, okay? That's where we're going. All right? They saw believers loving other believers, not critiquing other believers. Over and over again. You know some of these by heart. And you know others. John thirteen thirty five, Jesus said, this, this is how the world is going to know that you are my disciples. By your love, one for another. Not by the positions that you take on issues. Not by how beautiful your building is or is not. Right? Not by the label that's on your denominational organization. Not by your credentials card. Not by anything else. Here's how the world is going to know that you're special. That you're my disciples. They're going to see how you love one another. And it's going to be different. They're going to look at you and say, I don't see that in my world. It's going to be very attractive to them. It's going to open their eyes. They're going to see that you love one another. John 15, 12, Jesus commanded us to love one another. James 1, 27, we shouldn't just talk it. We should walk it. Visit orphans and widows and their trouble. Help take care of. When you have people in your church, and The Rock is already doing this, when you have people in the church 
who have basic necessities that aren't getting met, be Christians and find a way, somehow help those folks to have their basic necessities be met. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers, agree with one another. Now, Paul had disagreements, so what's he doing? Big hypocrite? No. What he's saying is, you're going to have disagreements, but don't don't let them rest that way. Work through the issues. It'll sometimes it'll take time. It'll take effort. It'll take a lot of grace and patience. But get to the point where you're able to be in agreement. He said in Galatians chapter 6, do good. Show love to everybody, but especially do good to those who are of the household of faith. Again, the world will see, wow, they're different. Something's going on here with these Christians. They love each other, and they do it to the nth degree. I think I want to be a Christian. Wow, I want some of that. Does the world look at the church today and say, hmm, I want some of that? That's our job. That's our commandment. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, every bit of my commitment to you, uh, my, my fellow believers, is to build you up. I take it as my responsibility to build you up. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Again, beloved, let us love one another. And on and on and on. There's so many of these. I mean, this is the easiest part, right? It's a no-brainer. Everybody knows right? If you're a believer, you know that is God's word over and over again. That is God's example over and over again. Believers ought to take care of each other in a very, very special way, right? That's the instruction. Then there's the experience. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. All you read about is believers taking care of one another. They were in fellowship. They were in unity. They shared lots of meals together. In the Assemblies of God, we do that really well. We do that really well. We had our national conference. I'll never forget this. This made the news. Our national conference in Phoenix, Arizona a couple years ago, and it made headlines uh, because the restaurant tours downtown by the convention center had to order emergency orders of food, all right, because the restaurants, we ate them out of, now the, the uh, bars were doing just fine. They had plenty of alcohol, but they weren't too happy with us. But man, the restaurant tours, the Bible says those, those believers ate their meat with gladness. Oh, we do that in the Assemblies of God, right? We do that. Oh, yes. Acts chapter 4, nobody in the church lacked for basic necessities. That's the story. That's the experience. Acts chapter 5, all of them were with one accord in Solomon's porch, on and on. That is the New pattern, New Testament pattern of instruction and experience. Believers loving each other. Do the non-believers today have evidence that Christians are on the same page? Do the non-believers today say, hmm, trying to think about Christians. I see them on social media. I see them on TV. I, have, I work with some of them. And I never hear them say anything negative about other believers. All I, all I see is them loving one another. If that's not the case, folks, we've got some serious work to do. We are in sin. We are in disobedience. We are in disobedience. And this is the primary command Here's, here's God's marketing plan for salvation. The first thing is that the world has to see that believers love each other spectacularly. That's plan A after the cross. And if they're not seeing that, man, we, we've got a long ways to go, and we've got to do it quick. We don't have time to keep letting the world see our disagreements. Now, let's talk about those disagreements. The believers, hear me clearly, disagree with each other a lot. I'm not saying that they were always contentious, but God's word very clearly explains to us so that we don't have to get so anxious when sometimes we don't agree with everything that another believer says, because it happened a lot. There's five examples I'll mention to you today 
Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 18, and Galatians 2. These are examples of believers who were having disagreements with other believers. But they did it the Jesus way. All right? What is that instruction? Over and over again, we are instructed in the New Testament as believers to solve our issues inside the church. Jesus started it off in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. He said, correction, when you have disagreements with each other, it happens in stages inside the church. That's Jesus talking. If you disagree with another believer, the first thing you should do, if someone offends you, if someone does something that you don't understand, kind of upsets you, you should definitely go to someone else and start talking about them. That's the new... No, I'm sorry. Oh, no, okay. You're supposed to go to them. Wow. I didn't, Really? Okay. All right, you're supposed to go to that person first. Oh, how many church problems. I would be out of a job. Why am I preaching this? <laughs> if believers just went to other believers first. Went, go to that person. Why do, we, why do we not do that? It's so hard. <laughs> because they might get mad at me, right? They might not understand me. Because my feelings got hurt, and before I go to them, I want to have someone pat me on the shoulder and say, yeah, you're right, right? Why do we do that? I don't know. A host of reasons, but it's sin. When someone offends you, when you have a disagreement with someone, go to them. Go to them. That's Jesus talking. If that doesn't work, because sometimes it doesn't work, don't lose your cool. Wow, that didn't go so well. (laughs) Let me go get someone else. Go get Pastor Carlos. Go get one of your leaders to come with you and say, now I've got some witnesses this time, and last time it didn't go so well. Um, really, can we talk about this? Because here's what Scripture says, and, and usually that'll work. I mean, those first two rounds, that will work 95% of the time, if not more. That's right. Occasionally, however, there are some folks, there's false teachers sometimes. You know, there's, there's people who just got issues, and sometimes you have to take it to the whole church. And in this church, and in the Assemblies of God, we aggressively, enthusiastically, wholeheartedly support church discipline. We do. Because you got, you got to have freedom, but just because you have freedom doesn't mean you can do everything or should do everything, right? All things are lawful to me, Paul says, but all things are not appropriate. There's a difference. And just because I can do something doesn't mean I have to do something, right? So bring them to the whole church, and if that whole church says, you know what, brother, sister, we're all in agreement here. You can't keep doing that. If that person says, hey, here's my hand, then you got to show them the door. That's, that's what Scripture says, but you do it inside the church. Well, Paul picks up on this. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you have other issues, if you have issues with other believers, take it to them. Don't take it to the world. Galatians chapter 6, he says, restore a sinning brother gently. In James chapter 4, uh, James says, brothers, do not criticize one another. Don't be critical. Have disagreements, but don't get a critical spirit and start saying that this person's always wrong and this person's always wrong. Don't be critical. And Paul, uh, Paul says to Titus in chapter 3, even a false teacher, show them this, this pattern. That's a very dangerous thing to do, to be a false teacher. But even approach them twice in the church and say, brother, sister, you've got to stop this. All right, here's what Scripture says. Do it gently. But if they won't hear you after a couple times, then there's the door. And that's a loving thing to do. Because if you don't say no to them, you're saying no to a whole lot of people who are going to get confused and hurt and possibly not make it to heaven. That's the instruction, the experience. Acts chapter 5, Peter confronted Ananias and Sapphira privately. When he did that, many people got saved. Acts chapter 6, Greek and Hebrew Christians had a disagreement about their widows being treated the same. 
they solved it inside the church and many people got saved. Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement over John Mark. They had a disagreement, but they just said, you know what? The best thing is to, to go our separate ways. We love each other. We affirm each other, but we can't work together at this time. And when they did that, many people got that's right. Acts chapter 18, Priscilla and Aquila, a, a wife and her husband, were very gifted, spiritually seasoned ministers. They saw Apollos, a brand new minister who wasn't preaching an accurate gospel. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so they corrected him privately. And when they did that, his ministry grew and people got saved. In, Gal- in Galatians chapter 2, Paul confronted Peter, Barnabas, and company about how they were treating the Jews specially and they were ignoring the Gentiles. He confronted them to their face, and people got saved, all right, and over and over again. So you confront the biblical way, and the world doesn't see that. And what happens is when Christians adhere to that, and we solve our differences inside the church, it does something to us, and it further bolsters that image the world has of the church. They love each other. And they don't see all this garbage that has no business. Brothers and sisters, this is a really hard mess. I don't know that this message is going to get very far because there are entire industries. There are companies and people making their living on calling out other Christians and doing it publicly and not doing it biblically. But they've made money and they've made a a reputation for themselves as my job and my role is to call out other Christians and they do it on the internet where the whole world can see. And that is not biblical. That's what happened when the world saw the church interacting with each other. They loved each other, and the world did not see them critique each other. Did I say this morning that believers do not have disagreements? Did I say that? Did I say to the contrary that believers have lots of disagreements? Yes, I'm being very real because Scripture is being very real with us. We're not talking about fantasy land. We are going to disagree. And the more that we grow, and the more we're going to have more disagreements because that's the nature of the beast. But it's a healthy thing when we handle it the way Christ instructed us to. It helps us, and it helps the world to keep seeing us as people who love each other exceptionally. Now let's talk about engaging with the world. What about when the audience is right there in our face? And for some of you, I'm using the word the world, and you know it does mean the TV, and it means culture and all that, but it also means under your roof, and I get that. These are conversations that you're having with your own kids, conversations you're having with your own mom and dad, your own brothers and sisters, because for whatever reason, some of them are not following Christ and they have adopted some of these lifestyles and some of these habits that, that it finds its way into your conversations and into your, like it has mine, just had a wedding a few weeks ago of a, of a relative and the, the gay sister with a, with a partner Uh, didn't come to the wedding because of those issues, right? So it's sticky. It is really sticky and it's heavy. And I get it. I get it. But this principle applies the same. And I think this will be one of those areas where your burden gets lifted because there's no greater burden than having a son or a daughter or a husband or wife, a close family member who's walking in sin. And you, you want to do the Holy Spirit's work. I want to do it. Oh, give me the tools. I want to perform open heart surgery. If I could just snip this and connect this, they will start, and life will be so much better if they will start deciding like this. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. What is our role? Our role is to make this gospel so attractive and, and, to, and to show them so much love and show, show them so much truth 
and let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Now, I'm not going to do today, and some of you will say, thank God. Uh, I'm not going to do for you today what I did the other night. Um, there's 32 examples. And, and I didn't even say that ahead of time, but I, I could tell when I was preaching that message, I say, and now here's 32 points. I can just p- see people wilt like, oh, God, please. Oh, come on, 32 points, right? <laughs> I know it. I felt it. I'm not going to do that to you today. But Pastor Carlos has those notes, right? So he has all 32 points. He sat through them. And what I'm talking about is there's 32 examples in the book of Acts. That's a lot of examples. We base a lot of things that we believe as doctrine on three or four examples. There's 32 examples of this in the book of Acts where believers were talking with non-believers. And we know what they said. There are other examples that we don't know what they said other than Paul went here and, and Barnabas went here. But of the examples that we know, there's 32 times that we see what happened when believers were talking to non-believers. And I'll start with the experience first, and then I'll go to the instruction. The pattern of experience, the story, time and time again, was they preached Christ crucified. They kept talking over and over again about God's plan for salvation, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They got people mad at them because they said, you must serve Jesus, and if you don't serve Jesus... You're not going to go to heaven. So this was not a, 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 an easy message. It was a very confrontational message. So don't misquote me. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we're supposed to skirt the tough. I'm saying we're supposed to have conversations about the issue. It's the elephant in the room. You love Jesus and acknowledge who he is, and that's your ticket. That's, that's, that's the pathway to have a relationship with your heavenly father. It's Jesus. All 32 cases. That's what the disciples did over and over again, was they kept the message on Jesus. They kept the message on the kingdom of God. 32 examples of that. How many examples in the New Testament are there of believers talking to non-believers about lust, about drunkenness? I mean, there's a whole list here. I mean, every book in the New Testament talks about sin. And they talk about these sins in a very stark way. These sins will lead you to hell. You cannot be an adulterer and go to heaven unless you've been forgiven. And you've got to stop being an adulterer. You can't be a drunk and keep being a drunk over and over again and find your way to heaven. Because these sins, these lifestyle sins, are going to keep you from knowing God because the, the issue really is not those sins, it's Jesus Christ. You got to have Jesus, and, and and we have all sinned, and and over and over again talks about legalism and acts and gossiping and Romans and incest in First Corinthians and jealousy in Second Corinthians and hypocrisy in Galatians and drunkenness and conceit and fornication and lust and idleness. I'm now in Timothy and Thessalonians and Titus, slander, profanity, debt, adultery favoritism and racism and James and first Peter talks about grumbling and the second Peter talks about coveting and hatred and deception and malice and flattery and good old-fashioned sexual immorality and revelation it's all covered and all these sins are very clearly spoken about these are the things that will separate you from God they, they're, they're gonna they're gonna cause you if you if you remain entrapped in these lifestyles they're gonna cause you to miss out on God's plan for your life but the deal is that all of those sins and behaviors, the Bible's very clear how harmful they are, they're all spoken about when the audience is the church. There are no examples 
of believers talking to non-believers about this. 100%, I mean, that's kind of a lot, all right? 100% of the examples of saying, stop cheating on your wife and stop having relations sexually with someone who's of the same gender, who's not your spouse. I mean, that's the important part too, right? It's not just gender, it's called marriage, right? In the eyes of God, it's very important. Quit allowing drugs and alcohol to, to take the place of God in your life. You, you've got to get away from those harmful substances. Quit using your tongue to spread gossip and slander and hurtful things. People make a lifestyle out of that. You've got to stop that. That's very disappointing to God. All of those conversations, and there are many of them, they happened when the believers were talking to other believers. There are no examples of believers talking to non-believers about that. There's a reason why. I'll explain here in a second. But, I mean, this is pretty sobering. So, again, what I said, if, if, a, if a pagan came up to Paul and said, Paul, would you please tell me why, why being conceited and arrogant is so harmful? I, I cannot imagine for a second that Paul said, oops, you don't have Jesus in your heart. I can't talk to you about that. Not loud, sorry. I can't imagine Paul doing that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. I am saying there's no examples of that. So I think a rational person would say God wrote the Bible the way he wrote it for a reason. And the, and the reason is this whole thing works a lot better when non-believers see believers loving each other, not critiquing each other, and when they hear us saying Jesus, 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 and not getting caught up in debates about all these other issues. That's how it works. And here's the point. You see, I, I mentioned earlier all those sins, uh, legalism and incest and everything else. Oh, sodomy. I didn't mention that earlier. That's covered too, right? I got a whole list here. Uh, I was joking with the pastors. I mean, here's, here's your next six-month sermon series. I mean, pick, pick a sin a week and talk about it at church because the point is these, these sins are issues inside the church. That was true in the New Testament, and that's true today. And that is God's plan. That's how he wants to get rid of drunkenness. That's how he wants to get rid of conceit and arrogance. That's how he wants to get rid of racism. That's how he wants to get rid of homosexuality and adultery and polygamy and fornication. He wants to get Jesus inside people. And once Jesus is inside those people and they're part of a church, in the context of the church, then we can talk about these issues. And the context of believers where there's, where there's a good audience here who will help people and pray with them and say, I'm not going to ask for your hands today, but I, it's true in every single church. I have already mentioned some issues, and some of you today are hearing this, and a few months ago you were saying, I am free, and that's what you're excited about. I used to be bound by arrogance and conceit. I used to be bound by drunkenness. I used to be bound by all of that, and now I'm free. And what a great thing it is for somebody who is brand new in their faith to have someone who walked where they walked 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, put their arm around them and say, oh, brother, oh, sister, you can do it. Look at me. Oh, you wouldn't believe what, what, what was going on in my life. And God set me free, and he can set you free. How much more, is that a rocket science thing? How much more effective would that be in that environment than to have an argument with somebody over Facebook over the same issue? 
right? Or picket. Go down there with a sign. How is discipleship going to happen in that setting? How is love, how is an example? It's not going to happen. And, and God, God is a genius, and that's why he knows. So believe me, God wants all of these sins to be gone from his creation. And he knows how to do it best. And how to do it best is to get people to have a conversation about Jesus. And once Jesus is inside them because they believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Lord, he is their only way to have forgiveness, then in that context, we can start to talk to them and show them. And many times we don't even have to do it. When non-believers, and this is some of your stories, when you, when you start hanging around believers and you know something's different, I, I've heard this over and over again as I preach this message. That's exactly what happened. All, all we had to do was get them saved. And once Jesus was inside them, they started reading the word. God's spirit did the work for us. We didn't have to argue with them or debate them. So those are the experiences. Now let me talk about the rationale, the instruction. There's a pattern of instruction, and Paul makes it very clear why this is the way we do it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, when I came to you, Corinthians, you guys didn't know Jesus Christ, my initial ministry focused on Christ crucified. So there's no mystery. Paul's telling us, here's how it happens. When you come to non-believers, focus on preaching Christ crucified. Later in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he explained why. He said, because non-believers cannot understand spiritual truth. I mean, don't you feel that? Don't you feel frustrated? Why don't these non-believers understand what I'm trying to talk about? This makes so much sense to me. I mean, let's just be real, real open here, okay? And by the way, if you're not a believer here today... Uh, you know, I really encourage you to talk to Pastor Carlos or to one of the leaders here, maybe the person who brought you. Uh, they would like to explain this to you. And I'm sorry I have to go back to Columbus. I can't disciple you, but there's people here who would love to talk to you about this. But l- let's just use an example I've hit on several times. It's in the news all the time. I want to say to people who don't, who, like my, my relative, <laughs> you are a female. Okay? If, if you and your partner... We're alone on a deserted island. And over here on this deserted island was a, a man and a man. And on this island was a man and a woman. 20 years from now and 40 years from now and 60, which island is going to have life on it, right? Only one of those islands is going to be able to reproduce. Uh, so to me, I'm, I'm using a very cerebral brain thing. Like, this just makes sense. How, how can you think that this is a lifestyle that is going to perpetuate itself? You cannot reproduce humanity with these lifestyles. Unless, of course, you involve science and get a lab or adoption. But you have to have a man and a woman. And no one disagrees with that. But for that reason alone, I think that doesn't make sense. And then especially then Christians. Christians, like, like my relative, she, she claims to, to serve Jesus Christ. She claims, she claims to say that all these verses in the Bible that talk about it are, are out of context. And I just scratch my, like, why doesn't this make sense? But here's the truth. Here's the truth. If you don't have Jesus inside of you, these things aren't going to make sense. So here's the burden getting lifted off my shoulders. I don't understand why people would want to bring marijuana to Ohio. Isn't the drug problem bad enough? In my mind, I'm like, what are you thinking? Medical marijuana, it's a different issue, right? But to, to make marijuana 
more, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm giving you examples. I have opinions. If you don't already know that I have opinions, I have opinions, all right? But we're inside the church today, all right? So we can talk about that. Maybe you even disagree with me on some of this. We can talk about it. But in my mind, I'm tired of trying to say, why are you wanting to make things harder? We're already spending hundreds of millions of dollars and people's lives are getting ruined because of heroin and oxy, whatever it is, right? All that stuff, it's terrible. Is there not enough pain? And now we want to make it even more possible for, for people to try it when they never would have tried it simply because the law for some people is a barrier. And now we want to remove that. I, I get so tired in my mind of trying to explain to people, but this is such a relief. There's a reason why. When people have Jesus Christ inside their heart, so many of these things don't even make sense. And we shouldn't be banging our heads trying to get them to make sense. We should be trying to get Jesus inside their heart. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says only mature believers can tell right from wrong. So don't be surprised. Many, many instructions. Paul says it this way. This is probably the, the clearest way. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, our business as Christians is to judge insiders. Don't judge outsiders. That's futile. It's not going to make you, you will, you will only frustrate yourself if you try to correct the world on all their behaviors. Get Jesus inside them. All right, so let's land this plane. You get what I'm talking about? Okay, here's a pattern. So here's 2015. There are people in 2015 in Northwest Ohio and all over the country who are Christians, who are on their way to heaven. I am convinced of it. And some of them are using Jesus and they're using scripture and they're using church to promote the election of Democrats to office. All right? And some of them love Jesus and are on their way to heaven and they're using scripture and the Bible and and their church to promote the election of Republicans. Okay, I'm not saying that right or wrong on who's, I, mean, I know who I want to be president. I will tell you why I got 100 verses, why my candidate is going to get elected next year. And by the way, a year from today, we're going to have a new president, right? One year from today, we're going to elect a new president. It's very important. But see, the world, if I want America to remain on the throne as the most important thing in my life, I have that option. But God belongs on the throne, not America. If I want my church to be on the throne, I can do that. But my church does not belong on the throne. God belongs on the throne. My family, if I'm not careful, I can put them on the throne, but they don't belong there. Only God belongs on the throne. So, yes, I know who I want to be elected as president. And I know some issues that I like to go my way. But more important than that is God's on the throne, and he's given me a commandment. And if I love him, I'm going to fulfill his commandment. I've got to get as many people around that throne as possible. That's my job. That's my job. Like you, I've got family members who've served in the military. They've given their lives for this country. I love America. I think this is about stewardship. America is a tool. It's a resource. What can we do? And we've done some amazing things over the decades. What can we do now to keep using this great tool that we have called America to perpetuate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is mission number one. And so when the world looks inside the church and they see Christians getting red-faced, wanting Democrats or wanting Republicans, and they're fighting each other, that's not helping the cause of Jesus Christ. That's my point. When the world looks inside the church and sees some believers are all about gun rights and other believers are about gun control, 
Some believers are about amnesty and some believers are about deportation. And some believers are about clemency and leniency for prisoners. And other believers use scripture to say the death penalty. And on and on and on, the world looks at that and says, why do I want that hot mess? I've already got a mess. They're, they're so mad at each other. Christians are, are, are getting angry at each other and calling each other out on these kind of issues. Why do I want that? That's not, the, that's not the goal. That's not the commandment for the church of Jesus Christ. Rather, it's this one message. One message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only message that's fit for the world to hear us preaching. Why is that message special? Because that is the only message... That is the only message that's being proclaimed by Christians. Think about this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish because we have got sin. We're going to perish if we don't. But now we're going to have everlasting life because of Jesus Christ. Only Christians are proclaiming that message. Non-believers, atheists, are not going to proclaim that message. When's the last time you heard a Muslim say, oh, I believe that, right? No, no way. Jews do not believe that. Buddhists do not believe that. Agnostics and atheists do not believe that. So you sit here today, and there are many things that you are for. I, just those numbers, those ones that I mentioned. Gun rights and amnesty and uh, politicians. All of those things, those are not the gospel for a number of reasons. Here's, here's a great reason why. Because you are in agreement with many Muslims that you don't know about those issues. You are in agreement with many Buddhists that you don't know about those issues. You want, you want the same candidate elected that many atheists want elected. Right? You want the same position on immigration that many Jews want. All right? And some Jews don't want. So, so these other messages don't have that kind of clarity and agreement that the gospel message has. It's only believers who are proclaiming that and also inside the church. That's the only message which we agree about 100%. All believers agree with that 100% and that's it. You start going down any other path, <laughs> whether it's politics or even in the church, and Christians will start to disagree. But all believers agree that Jesus Christ, and that's why that's the message. It's the one thing we can agree on. That's why that's the message the world needs to hear and not all the others. So here's some questions I want to ask you as we conclude. What evidence do I have that debating morality with the world even works? All right? It might be one thing if I could say, well, look how we're winning the battle on same-sex marriage because we've been in the face of this country. We've been picketing, and look how we're winning the battle on that. Hello? Look how we're winning the battle on marijuana. Look how we're winning the battle on gambling. We are not winning the battle. So this morality debate, and again, I think it comes from a good place in our hearts. Somebody's got to say something. Because the media and all my family and friends are all saying this is okay and it's not okay, so somebody's got to stand up for it. It comes from a good place in our hearts, but it's not the best use and it's not the most biblical use of our time and our, our, our conversation. If I debate morality with the world, let's, let's just pretend for a second. Let's say I did debate morality with somebody who didn't know Jesus Christ, and somehow I was able to convince them, and after talking with me about the wisdom that I just explained to you, they said, you know what, you're right, I don't think there ought to be same-sex relationships, and now I'm going to just uh, support monogamous uh, heterosexual marriage. I, I can't think of that happening based on a debate, but let's just say that it did. If I won that person to my side of that argument, so to speak, but I failed to win them to Jesus Christ... How have I honored Christ, which is my most important job? 
I haven't changed their eternity. In fact, what I've done, I think, is I've manipulated them. I've got them to vote my way, to see things my way. It makes my, my life a little more comfortable because I've got four kids and I really don't like all this mess going on. <laughs> and it would make me feel a little more comfortable if, if more Ohioans would vote this way and see this way. I've helped them make my here and now a little more comfortable. I've done nothing to change their eternity. That's not Christ. On the other hand, if I win them, let's be practical. If we win Northwest Ohio, if we win all of Ohio to Jesus Christ, and we've now got 10 million Jesus people walking the streets and driving our cars, we're probably going to see a lot of these issues go the way we want to go. 10 million Jesus people are not going to vote for things that dishonor God's word. 10 million Jesus people are going to elect people of honor to these positions of influence all over our society. It's the most practical way, thing to, way to, to go about doing that anyways, get Jesus inside them. Then what does it mean for my personal communication? And this is true for pastors, but it's true for all of us. What I post on Facebook, what I share, what I forward, what I vent about, what I talk about with my friends at Thanksgiving coming up, Right? What does it mean for all of that communication when, when I look at Scripture, the model of the New Testament was that salvations happened and healings happened and baptisms in the Holy Spirit happened when believers focused on Jesus Christ with the world and kept these issues inside the church and, waited and got people inside the church so then they could help them understand why God's Word would want them to walk a different way. Does that mean something to me? I, again, I've said this a couple times. It comes from a good place in our hearts. I, I have a friend who's in her 70s, and she's all over Facebook, right? And so um, you, you have these friends. And so she apologized recently. Uh, she put a, a public thing on her Facebook. But she said, all oh, my friends, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, when you, when you have funerals and, and when you go to the hospital, I like to encourage you. So I post prayer and scripture and all that stuff on your, on your pages when you go through those things. And I just heard from my grandson today, however, that LOL means laughing out loud. It doesn't mean lots of love. And I'm really sorry that when you had your funerals and had people in the hospital, I was putting LOL on your Facebook page. Uh, I'm really sorry, okay? So you've been there, done that, right? You know? (laughs) I shared that on this recent tour I was on, Lady Scream, because that's exactly what she did. (laughs) So part of this is we're trying to wrap our minds around. When you think about it, 50 years ago, <clears throat> there, even, in, even in, the, in the world, a lot of these issues were not acceptable. It wasn't because they were Jesus people. It was just it was the way our country was. And so it's pretty quick now that these issues, one by one by one, are becoming more acceptable to a country that just three and four and five decades ago did not accept them. So that's... That's pretty quick timing that all these things are happening. So we're feeling like the foundation is falling out from underneath us. But the foundation was never our laws. The foundation has always been Jesus Christ. We just had our eyes set on the wrong foundation. And, And now Facebook and social media and tweets and everything else, that's all pretty new. And so we have all these tools in our hands. Well, well, I must, I'm allowed to vomit, therefore I must vomit, right? So, you know, 30, 40 years from now, We'll look back and say, oh, what were we thinking? Oh, that was pretty funny what we did. It was new to us. So that's part of the explanation as to why I think we're, we're, we're stumbling our way through this, which is why I love God's word. Two more questions. 
Winning the world to Christ is a far greater reward than winning a moral debate. But the risk of persecution, real persecution, goes way through the roof if you want to talk about Jesus. Getting unfriended on Facebook is not persecution. Right? So we can beat our chest. I I stood up for that and I told him and I told her. That's That's not the gospel and that's not persecution. So it's actually cowardly, not as courageous to talk about those issues instead of talking about Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. But be prepared that persecution will be on the increase the more that you talk about Jesus. Are you ready for that? When you get home, when you go to work tomorrow, are you ready for that? Are you ready? It's the greatest reward, but it's the greatest risk. And finally, are we daily reminded that the most important audience we have is not believers or unbelievers, as our Heavenly Father? He's listening. He's empowering us. Carlos referred to it a few moments ago. He said, Spirit, help us. That's exactly what the Spirit does. He gives us, in those moments, the words to speak. And we see over and over again a pattern of instruction and a pattern of experience that the New Testament believers depended on their audience with their Heavenly Father. Here's what they did, Acts chapter 4, and I close with this. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Here's what the disciples were talking to their Heavenly Father in that audience. Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. Stretch out your hand to heal. Let signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy child, Jesus. That's your prayer. Lord, it's a crazy world. Look at their threats. But Lord, help us not to discourage by that, not to get uh, disoriented, but help us to preach your word. And Lord, right now, would you grant signs and wonders? Help us, Lord, as we love each other, as we preach Jesus, would you send your power here so that when we preach this word, Christians or uh, non-Christians are going to say, there's something special about what's going on at the rock. There's something special about that family that loves Jesus. That's our prayer. God knows. He is not disoriented. He's not discouraged. He's got a plan. And this could be, and I believe will be, according to Scripture, the church's finest hour. But it's going to take us focusing our message, understanding who our audience is, and allowing the the audience of the Holy Spirit to always be right there on our minds. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the clarity of your word, the peace of your word, the assurance and the power of your word. Lord, right now, as, as I'm hearing, hearing my own mouth repeat your words, I'm thinking, oh, what does this mean? Oh, some of the conversations I've had, some of the things I've done, I know it came from a good place in my heart. I, I want to see people get away from those traps and those snares. But you've got a plan, Lord, and I thank you. I thank you today for making your plan so evident in Scripture. Would you help the rock, help everyone in this room who's got loved ones, under their roof sometimes, in their own families, let alone at work and at school. Help us, O oh God, to, to let this word guide us, that we would keep our message focused on Christ, that it would be true of the rock, that, that the world has not seen us disagree. The world has not seen us air our dirty laundry. What they're seeing is us loving each other. And they're not hearing us critique one another. And God, would you let it be true of the rock that when we're with the world, we're talking about Jesus. We're proclaiming the power of Jesus. We're giving testimonies for what Jesus has done in our lives. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but Jesus Christ. 
And we'll let you do the work in their hearts, oh God, as they get Jesus inside their heart. We thank you right now that that chains are being broken by this. That the chains of all these sins and these lifestyles will be broken. That's what you want because Jesus Christ did the work. Oh God, we thank you for letting it happen. It's already happened. There's testimonies in this room of that very thing. Let it, let it begin to be a challenge that we can't keep up with the testimonies of lives getting changed. People coming in here because a believer led them to the Lord. And they walk in here already as brand new believers because the salvation prayer and that conversation took place at home. It took place at school. It took place at work. And now they're coming into this house and you're doing the work, oh God, that you can do when the Spirit resides in our hearts. And we thank you for it. We thank you for the result in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been such a kind and patient audience today. Thank you, Pastor Carlos. Once again, I'm so grateful for the privilege. Thank you. Praise God. Is God not good? Isn't he mercy?